Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. Which is right now. Hello, 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 hello. Today is Monday, March 27th, 2023. This is the Helping Friendly Podcast, the 40 for 40 edition. No, we are not all 40, but we are here celebrating a band that is turning 40 this year. That little band is Fish. Probably all of our favorite bands. At this point, maybe there's a couple older bands, maybe some younger bands, but but we're here to talk about Fish. And we have reached the year 1993. What a year. What a couple of tours. What a New Year's run. 
almost had, I wouldn't even say almost, we had too much to figure out what to feature in today's episode Mm -hmm. because it is such a massive year, but we are so, 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 so excited to dive into the show that our good friend, Mr. Jonathan Hart, selected for us today. 826-1993 from Portland, Oregon. So much to dive into. Before we do that, Megan, how are you doing today? I'm okay. I'm doing okay. I'm happy to be here with you guys. Yeah, I have like, you know when you have a lot of fun and then it's over? Yes. And you're kind of like, oh, my fun is over. fun is over. Yeah. Yeah, my fun's over. For a little bit at least. And I have like, you know, a list of things I need to do now and I'm going to do them. I'm okay. There's always that moment where you come up with that list of things that you have to do that like I get a little bit invigorated by the list making process. And then I'm like, man, I really liked the period where I didn't have any list. And like it was was something I I shouldn't have had. I should not have had a list. And and that moment was really good. And I wish I could go back there. So I understand what you're feeling. Yeah. I like making the list. I like like writing pens. Yeah, I mine's bigger than that, but I like making lists. But it's the doing. Mine's them also that I, blank I like for those watching them from home. <laughs> is that are that is that your notes for today, Jonathan? <laughs> yeah, that's all. This is my list, my to do list for today, my notes for this show, and um, <laughs> it's so small. Yeah. It, like if you're not watching, is Jonathan is holding up something that's like the size of like an AirPods case. The, it's so tiny, the, the tiny Post-it size. Um, yeah, I, occasionally I do write stuff on it when I'm like <laughs> doing recording music, you know, I'm like, <laughs> but not not for this stuff. Well, we do know that one guest, one listener, one fan is unprepared as well today. Probably did not make a list. Shout out to the incredible perp. Totally unprepared. Just found out what the show was. Ha 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 ha. I will let the fine HF pod folks paint me a picture of the show. That's what we're here for. You didn't have to listen. We did. And now, hopefully, we create a roadmap of what we enjoy about this show, where we think that this show fits into the larger year, 1993, the larger history of the band Fish as we move through 40 years. And then perhaps you go back, you listen to this show, and you have a little bit more insight. That's the goal here, at least. That's what I think we're here for. I'm just here to talk trash and have fun. That's it. That's it. And I should say, as we're getting into this show here, we have a little bit of business before we dive into the actual show. We are starting a new feature here on HF Pod 40 for 40. We've gone through the first 10 years of fish history. We've collectively, as a group, said we've debated for hours what show should we cover from 1986? What show should we cover from 1987, 88, 89, 90, 91, 92? And then as we were figuring out 93, we realized. There's a lot here. Like, there's a lot here. And there's a lot that could piss someone off if they don't get the show that they want. There's a lot that could deeply offend and hurt someone. There's a lot that someone could celebrate for like years in a row of, I got my pick for 94 and 95 and 96 and 97. We realized that wasn't fair. So, what we've done, we've come up with a very scientific system where every year, a new member of the show picks a show. That is the show that we cover, regardless of anyone else's opinion. And then we all listen to it. And we spend about four or five hours breaking that person down for their opinions because there were 45 <laughs> or 50 other shows that they probably should have picked. And then we come on here and we discuss why this show has merit. 
So it's it's a lot of we're working a lot out here together as a group. It's pretty fun. <laughs> you know, some a couple details that you you kind of lay left a out. A little embellishment. People will assume. <laughs> no, no. It's is that um, you know it's a rotation because there's only it's a rotation four of us mm-hmm. doing it. So we take turns, and there's also the possibility that somebody may not be available one week. So we kind of kick the you know there's trades. Um, but there's a you know, lot of requirements for the trades. Yeah. It's very complicated. The trade mm-hmm. system alone, like it's, it's like 10 pages long. Uh, Brian wrote it, of course. Um, so it, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of bylaws, um, the mm-hmm. voting and no proxies. It's very it's challenging. Oh, we didn't tell them about the, the name generator that Brian Oh yeah, he put it, Brian, right? The well, I realized put- there was, there was no way to fairly say, Jonathan gets to go first. Megan gets to go first. Brian gets to go first. RJ always could go first. But, you know, we're not going to give him that at this point in time. He's been hosting the show for 10 years. We've all put in our time. He doesn't get a free pass here. So we put all of our names into a highly secretive – like I had to go into a vault and I had to (laughs) enter our names and then I had to like spin around 15 times, walk out. It was basically what Ryan Storm has to do before he gets to film rig rundowns with the band Goose. (laughs) Cannot know where he's actually at when he does it. And I got the names all in order. So RJ was going first this week, but RJ couldn't be here. He traded with Jonathan. Jonathan gets this week. I believe RJ gets next week, which is 1994. Megan gets the like greatest year in fish history of 1995. I know. I feel and bad then, that I have 1995, Brian. We could trade. Because I no know. Well, we'll have to discuss this. I'll give you everything from the aughts. I don't think but I don't think you should feel bad. It's 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 a good thing that you got 1995. I get 96. I'm very excited for a year that everyone kind of poo poos. And yeah, I'm, uh, I'm already I'm, falling asleep as you talk about it. Like, I, I have a great show pick for 1996. Yeah. I have an amazing show wait. pick for 1996. Um, we're going to get into why you picked this show, Jonathan, and then Megan and I are going to spend probably 15 minutes telling you why you should have picked X amount of other shows. But before yeah. we do that, um, we have just a couple pieces of business that we need to get to. And I am realizing as I say all of this, like building out the next couple of weeks, we will be recapping Fisher's upcoming spring run. Not a tour, mm-hmm. a run. We will be recapping that uh, as that, as that happens. Town to town, that's a tour. Yeah, it's 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 a, a run. tour. It's a West Coast run. They it's travel. A nice little West Coast it's a run. Tour. I just you need ten shows for me to give no, you a no, tour. I'm no, sorry. No, you know there's so mm, many like people who can't book ten shows that you are insulting right now. Those uh, the, so there's you're tour. absolutely right. It's they, a tour. those. It's there's a, a pass tour. if you don't have like a company yeah. booking now you your tour. Income thresholds on your tour run. (laughs) If you can only afford a four or five show tour, call it a tour. If you are fish, it is a run. I'm sorry. Just it's a spring tour. And incredible perp, I just have to say, there is a chance. There is not only a chance for a Vegas Oceanfor show in the future, but I have 2004. And I am so excited. I didn't realize that. I didn't look ahead enough. I'm busy that day. (laughs) <laughs> I'll come out here and I'll talk an hour and a half about Vegas 04. Just watch me. I'll do it solo. I've got it all planned. Um, you might have to. It's going to pre-record my <laughs> for you. <laughs> 
Before we dive into the content for today, Megan, can you tell our listeners about how they can subscribe to become premium members? Because I'm looking around here, I've got to imagine that some of these loyal listeners don't yet know. Yeah, if you don't know, this is a really amazing way to support what we do here at HF Pod and Osiris Media. You know, so many people were coming up to RJ over the last few goose shows that I've been to with him and saying, RJ, thank you so much for what you do. Like, we love everything you do for the community. I was standing right there. They didn't, they didn't say that to me, but it's okay. They said it to RJ. And all I kept thinking was, I hope these people are premium subscribers because this is the way that you can support what we do. And all you needed to go is to OsirisPod.com. And you can also subscribe through Apple um, or wherever you get your podcasts. And there's a little subscription button and you press it and it's like $4.99 a month and you're supporting what we do. So please do that. And we put out HF Pod premium episodes and they're funny. They're just kind of us just hanging out and talking about cool things. Cool things. Sometimes fish things. Sometimes yeah. fish things. Sometimes other, other music. things. Yeah. Fun stuff. It's all, it's, there's so many options on the table. I also do want to point out, Megan, you and good friend of the pod, oftentimes guests, great Osiris podcaster himself, Mr. Ryan Storm, just launched a new podcast called Things of Gold. Can you tell us a little bit about that and where to find that? Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. It's, a new podcast that we just started. We have one episode out. It's going to come out every other week and it's following Snarky Puppy's evolution starting in 2015. And so we're looking at shows from different years and talking about the different lineups and just watching how their sound evolves. And it has been incredible. I am just new to Snarky Puppy. So this podcast is kind of an adventure for me. I'm getting to discover the band as I'm listening to these shows and then kind of dissect the shows with Ryan, who knows a lot about Snarky Puppy and a lot about the instruments and everything. So it's been incredible. They're also on tour right now for their Empire Central record. And so I'm going to see them in April at the Beacon. And it'll be my first time seeing them. And it's great. We've had a lot of really, really great feedback about the show. So um, if you haven't checked it out, please do. The episodes are like 35, 40 minutes, and they're just a lot of fun. And you know, I get to poke fun at Ryan. So what's better than that? <laughs> Nothing better than that. I got yeah. three different text threads that uh, all just love the information <laughs> Ryan gives us and and just poke fun at him all at the same time. And it's all out of love. Um, it's a so great show. Love. And I will say, as a as a as a member of Osiris Media, but as a listener to Osiris Media podcasts, one of my favorite things that we do here at Osiris is we just completely nerd out and try to give listeners out there as much of a blueprint as well as our sometimes accurate, sometimes wildly inaccurate opinions about music. Just fun stuff all the time, and we just dive as deep as possible. Jonathan, you do that as well, really, really, really well with your excellent podcast, Broke Down Podcast. Do you have anything new on the horizon? Uh, I mean, there's an episode coming out on Tuesday, which if you're not Ooh. watching us live and you're listening to this on your podcast app, you could also listen to that after this because it's out. So there's that. What is the Tuesday episode about? Uh, I have a really cool guest, a guy named uh, Mark Neely, who is an animator, artist, and writer over at Aquarium Drunkard. And he's done some cool like research and archive work on Cincinnati's independent newspaper from back in the 60s, and also a big chunk of new music stuff going on in the first part of the episode. So great stuff. Long episode as usual. Uh, fun chat and uh, good old Grateful Dead, too. 
Love it. I will just plug, I've got an episode dropping Tuesday as well for the Beyond the Pond feed. Yes. Wow. Busy day on Tuesday. Busy day on Tuesday. Tuesday. Dave and I dove into one of our favorite aughts era indie rock bands, The Walkmen, did a album by album breakdown of them. They're playing their first shows in 10 years at the end of April in New York City. And we kind of connected them to 70s era singer-songwriters, and uh, we talk about the instrumentation that they utilize, and we talk about their evolution from a songwriting standpoint through the 2000s and what we loved about them. Also sharing our five favorite records of the year at this point in time, talking a little bit Fish Mexico and talking about our experiences seeing Goose and Eggy in the month of March. Really, really fun episode. Um, Excited for you all to hear that. Let's dive in, though. To August of 1993. Um, Meg, you always do a really good job with your corner, giving us a full breakdown of where Fish was at as we find them at this point in time. Why don't you tell us about where Fish was at in August of 1993 and why we should care about them at this point? Well, <laughs> it's kind of a big time for Fish. Um, in 1993, they're going to play 112 shows. So this is their sixth year in a row that they've played over 100 gigs. So they're, you know, they're cranking. Um, in the winter and spring tour, which is going to be a massive tour, this is definitely a tour. It's uh, February, March, April, and some of May. And they're going to play clubs and colleges and theaters, things like the Roxy in Atlanta or Tipitina's in NOLA. They're going to play the Greek theater. They're actually, they played Agora, which is where Goose played last night in Cleveland. Pretty cool. Then they're going to do a huge summer tour up and down the East Coast, out to the Midwest and the West Coast. And this is when they're going to start playing these big arenas and these places that they still play today, like The Man and Jones Beach and Great Woods. They're going to play in Red Rocks the first time in August. And then they've got their East Coast New Year's Eve run. So they're going to do a night in D.C., Connecticut, and Maine, and then New Year's Eve in Worcester, which is the first big New Year's gag set with the aquarium set. So this is a big, big year for fish. I mean, this is the beginning of the peak, right? This is like more adventurous jamming, bigger audiences and venues, improved conditions on tour. They've got a tour bus. Probably the biggest thing that happens this year, though, is the baby grand, right? Like Paige gets this huge upgrade in his gear. And I think that that influences their sound probably more than anything um, this year. He also brings back the Fender Rhodes in the summer. And he also started adding electronic keyboards. So Trey has said that like as Paige's gear improved, the band improved. And I think you can really hear that this year. Um, We've also got Rift gets released in January I think it's hard to understate the importance of Rift, not just because it's a masterpiece and it's my favorite Fish Studio album, but because it really, I think, thematically pushed the band in a more mature way and really allowed them to be able to see that that they were capable of creating really intimate and heartfelt music. And I think that really influenced them moving forward. So Rift is a big deal. And in the fall, they're going to record Hoist, which is, you know, their fifth studio album. And they're going to make a music video the one and only for Down With Disease, which never will be done again, which is a good idea. (laughs) Don't do that again. (laughs) Fine. Fine. I mean, what's actually cool is tracking the the video that Mike put together of like when they're filming Hoist. That is actually cool to watch, but yeah. Um, They get to hang out with Jonathan Frakes. How rad is that? (laughs) Is there a different song that you think that they should have done a music video for? 
Like if there was I, any other song in the '90s, because they're not going to make one. Should post. have been Tweezer, no. obviously, or Llama. I always thought Sample in a Jar, but yeah, I don't know. Full animation. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah, let's like let's get like the absolute like apocalyptic version of Lizards, Game Henge, and Llama. <laughs> yeah. so let's, let's see that. Um, I feel like a really cheesy reenactment of Tom Marshall's story when he wrote Ghost mm, would be an appropriate mm-hmm. one. You know, just kind of like this That'd creepy. Vermont cabin and like him walking outside and like this appear, you know, all that sort of stuff would be, yeah. would be really, really fascinating. And it would kind of play to the band's humor. would be a good one for a video. Like let's Ooh. just think of visualiz- <laughs> visualizations of that. Oh my God. <laughs> just do what I did in college and just put the uh, iTunes visual streamer on while I played <laughs> fish jams. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we've got 42 debuts this year. Um, there's a lot of covers they debuted this year, which is kind of interesting. But there's also songs like Ginseng Sullivan, 2001, Nellie Kane, Life Boy, Loving Cup, The Wedge. There's a Down With Disease jam. Not really Down With Disease, but the jam's coming at least, which is exciting. Got to start yeah. somewhere. It's one of my favorite hints that the band has ever done, where you had yeah. no idea. Yes. If you were there, you thought this is like just something for this moment. And then four months later, it actually is a song. And not only is it a song, but it becomes like one of the live staple moments in fish history. Just so cool that they did such a command of the moment type of thing. They're so excited about this Mm -hmm. thing. You know, like we can't sit on this anymore. (laughs) Which is one of those things like if you wrote the riff to Down with Disease, like you would go up to everyone and be like, Hey, hey, let listen to this. Just just stop what you're doing. This is awesome. That would that would be me for sure. But this year is like amazing. I mean, this is the year they like broke out of the box. You know, I feel like I've been waiting to talk about nineteen ninety three since we started this. So that's an excellent segue, and I want to thank you for doing that. I'm going to put a pin in it, though, because I yes. want to tell you very, very quickly about pop culture at this time. This is end yes. of August 1993. Some really important things about uh, about 1993, but I want to ask you guys, where were you at in life in August of 1993? What do you remember about this period in history? Going to see Grateful Dead. That was like my primary focus. I mean, I wasn't doing as many shows as I would like to have done, but that was that and seeing other little bands, little things, but Fish and I did not properly cross paths that year. I was listening to them, but not seeing them. Um, that's probably the kind of the most, the biggest thing that was going on for me, which isn't a How lot. About- how about you, Meg? Yeah, this is like the beginning of all of it for me. This is like the year I quit cheerleading and like started hanging out with the boys that were playing the Grateful Dead. And so I was like really getting into the Grateful Dead and really diving in like head first to that. I was like smoking pot and like, you know, just starting to like experiment with like dressing in hippie clothing. Like I was really starting to like make a, a transformation, I would say. You know, people new lifestyle. People knock stereotypes, but I love it when they're so real. Like, (laughs) you know, started smoking pot, quit the cheerleading squad, joined the bong team, just like (laughs) got real. Played hacky sack, like you know, sat out in the woods and like you know, laid in the grass and like hacky sack. Yeah, yeah, stared up at the sky and like talked about music. You know, that's that's pretty much what I did in 1993. Yeah, I got to imagine. We all went through a 
period as we were getting into this band or this larger scene where we hung out with at least three to five people that our parents didn't approve of. And I feel like that's a, that's a defining aspect of getting into this whole scene is like, (laughs) you're attracted to a type of person who I don't want to say you probably shouldn't be, but like you're being advised not to be around by certain people in your life. And ultimately you're like, no, 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 they're, they're having more fun than these people are over here. And I'm going to go over there. They're like a little naughty. Maybe somebody should have given me that sort of advice. <laughs> Maybe well, I was I, that kid. That was, <laughs> you I don't like think I John. was. I was a very nice boy. Um, you can still uh, be nice and naughty. This is true. I was going into um, second grade, so I was not smoking pot yet, a couple years away. Um, but I did have a, an earth-shattering experience in August of 1993 what? when uh, my, my hero in this world, Mr. Michael Jeffrey Jordan, stepped to the podium in early August of 1993 and announced he was retiring from basketball. His father had been murdered two or three days earlier. I think there were a lot of uh, – gambling accusations against and debts that he had to pay at that point in time. He had just finished winning the first three-peat in NBA history since the 1960s. Just unbelievable stuff. I was on top of the world with everything like culturally in my life, and then it all came crashing down. But um, I had I had absolutely no idea about fish at this point. I did know, and just jumping into pop culture history here, there was a lot especially the music section that is related to our band Fish. But I will just tell you, just to set you in this moment in time, top five TV shows of August 1993. 60 Minutes is number one. Home Improvement is number two. (laughs) Maybe the greatest television show of all time, Seinfeld, is number three. Wow. And then Mm -hmm. we finish it out with Roseanne and Grace Under Fire, two shows that really could only have existed in the 1990s. Music. Top five, starting from five, because number one is too juicy. Number five, I'm not familiar with this, but Jodeki lately. Does that ring a bell? It's a Jodeci. Jodeci, excuse me. Mm-hmm. See, see, I was, I was, I couldn't tell you what it sounds like, but I know. R&B. You just know. It's R&B. It's yeah. R&B. Okay. That I know, but like, yeah. So we're starting to get into R&B is taking mm-hmm. over 90s radio. Uh, Onks released a song called Slam. That was number four. Number three, this is heavy, heavy fish content here. The Proclaimers, I'm going to be 500 miles. A song that four years later is is one of the emotional pinnacles of my fish experience. Listening to Trey and Tom sing that song on stage while looking in each other's eyes at Madison Square Garden at what I think (laughs) is the best fish show of all time. Come on, come on. That's it. Uh, Number two, this will set you guys all back. I knew this song. Tag teams, whoop! There it is. I mean, right? Classic. Nothing puts you back to like 1993 America than that. You don't have to like it, but you're gonna know know it. But you're gonna gonna know know. it. It's it's like tub thumping four years later. Exactly. Number one, UB40s can't help falling in love. Huge, huge fish content there. Uh, Top five movies of August 1993. These are some bangers. Number five. Clint Eastwood in the line of fire. Number Mm. four, a movie I just introduced to my son two weekends ago, and he absolutely loved Jurassic Park. Mm. Just like 
stunning, stunning stuff. Number three, Free Willy. That was all over my radar huge, at that point in time. Huge, huge movie. Never seen it. Just hold me like oh, the River Jordan. Classic. Number two, <laughs> my, one of Michael Crichton's adopted novels into a movie, Rising Sun, Sean Connery. Wesley's I've never seen that. Great, great thriller. Really? Number one, mm-hmm. number one, one of the best movies I've ever seen in my entire life, The Fugitive. Movie. I you realize no there are two Michael Fugitive? Crichton movies in that list because he's Jurassic Park. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely he right. Is? That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. You're Jurassic Park. So a I lot happening. 1993 wow. America is like... <sighs> For me, I I was eight years old. Yeah, I was eight years old. And this was like at a point in my life where the world just could do no wrong. And then Michael Jordan yeah. retired. But meanwhile, as all of this is happening, <laughs> Fish is on the road wrapping up their summer tour. Um, Megan, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, that you've been waiting for us to get to 1993. I said something, I don't know if it was controversial uh, uh, last week, but I said that 1992, you could make an argument, is the starting point for a listener to understand mm-hmm. the fish story. Everything up until that point has been really fascinating foundational building, important songs are being unveiled, important uh, jamming approaches, important approaches to the overall show structure, humor. This is being brought in. This is being brought in. We talked about that 1990 show um, a couple of weeks back where the band debuts all these songs that are just now like they're just fish songs, but like mm-hmm. in that show, they were being played for the first time. And holy shit, what that experience was like. 1992 sounds like the purest form of fish to me. And 1993, as we're going to get into, is where what do you do when you've accomplished all of this? You've written all of these foundational songs. You've created this style of a show that people just keep wanting to travel to and come back to. And now they're trading tapes for and their secret language. Well, you don't try to expand further out of that. You try to break those songs down and you try to figure out what's within those songs. And we're going to hear that at this point in time. So I think it's, it, I have been very excited to get to this point because like from here until 2000, every year is this kind of building totally. block of what they've been doing. Um, Jonathan, you picked this show, 82693. Can you tell us 27 minutes into this podcast, this is like a really good <laughs> fish jam, why you selected this show, why you think that this represents 1993 really well? Uh, it's a really good show. Thank you. Um, <laughs> look, the, Perfect. The, there, there's some criteria that we should share. Maybe we yeah. shouldn't share with mm-hmm. the audience, yeah. but you know, we don't want to do a show that was done in uh, Undermines last season, which mm-hmm. eliminates a few shows uh, and all of Fall '97, by the way. So that'll be interesting. Um, but it eliminates a few shows along the way every year for the first for the next few uh, in this project, and then there's just some we don't want to hang on. And there's also the idea that maybe because we're guaranteed to not pick somebody's favorite show at this point, why try? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe we could have picked. Marat, well, Marat was on Undermine, I think. You know, maybe we could have put this show that you really love or that show that you really love. But as long as we don't pick a real stinker, which could happen, could happen, two thousand four, um, <laughs> we're gonna probably do just fine. And uh, and so, you know, we had 
bounced before we kind of settled on who was, you know, we're going to rotate and da, 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 you know, we, we had bounced some dates around. That's what started the conversation and landed us in this rotation disaster problem that we have. And, um, and I decided not to pick any of those. I'd even kicked out a couple suggestions and, and the, the, didn't go with either of those either. I just really, what I did is here's the secret. I looked at the jam charts for a David Bowie. Mm. And then I chose mm. the David Bowie that really mattered the most to me out of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, my memory is not what it was. I didn't remember the show, even though I know we probably talked about it when they released it on Live Fish. Mm-hmm. And it's freaking amazing. This is a great, so great good. show. Um, and and I told you guys before we started that I wanted to to get to this. You know, when I was listening to this in preparation for the show Mm -hmm. for the episode here i i realized very early like right away during the opener runaway gym that this is the kind of show that can rejuvenate a jaded fan i'm kind of a jaded fan I really like fish. I listen to them eh, at least once a week, you know, uh, sometimes a lot. Um, but you know, some, sometimes particularly if we've been listening to a lot of eighties and early nineties and I don't know, or 97, uh, it all starts to sound alike to me and I have to take a break and listen to something else and come back to it. And it's usually fun. This is the Mm -hmm. kind of show that you put on and right away you're like, this is why I like fish. Yes. Right out of the gate. Runaway Jim just, they blow the doors off. They break the song down and it's killer. And it doesn't stop for the rest of the night. I think that there's a lot in there that we are going to be unpacking throughout this whole show. I agree with a ton of it. I think that your your point about like if you are in any way jaded, if you have gotten to this point where you feel like I've heard everything about fish and I and I and I I feel sometimes like uh, and I speak for myself when I say this. Sometimes I'm like uh, I feel like I know all the tricks. So like I'll hear something that five years ago just completely blew my mind, and it does it's it's been dulled down because I've listened to it as much as as I have. Mm-hmm. So it's not as though it's not as quality as it was when I first listened to it. It's just I've heard all the tricks. You put on a show like this, and you realize that this is the point in time when they were discovering all those tricks in the moment, and they were taking chances that could have completely thrown the show off and completely screwed up. The show we talked about last week has a moment in Lizards where the band has to stop playing twice. Has to apologize and ask a fan, <laughs> do you know the lyrics to my song? And then they restart it. And there are about 15 moments in just the runaway gym here where that could have happened. And it would have been understandable for them to be like, sorry, we lost the beat. I don't remember the melody to this song. Can someone remind? Oh, yeah, that's how the chorus goes. And none of that happens because this band is just like firing on all cylinders. Um, so well, let's what dive I to in talk about before yeah, we dive yeah. in Brian that yes. this tightness and like the precision that they've been like playing with in early 90s it's just it's allowed them now now that they know like we can play arenas we can sell out big spaces we have this fan base there's a confidence and a freedom that that gives them to play incredibly risky i mean this whole show is just like yeah. risk after risk after risk they sound wild but like 
not without losing any of the mastery. Like mm. you cannot like ever replicate the confidence or the in the momentness of a band that's at this moment in their career. And I see that with another band that I know Brian and I like a lot. There's a a willingness to push the edge and the boundary. And I think that that is what you hear throughout this whole show. And it's thrilling. And I was, I haven't listened to the show since 2018, since they released it. And this was so fun to listen to. So I'll stop and we can get into it. But yeah. Well, I just want to double down on that confidence. (laughs) (laughs) The confidence is huge because they can go up. They can do all kinds of tricks in the air, but they know how to find their feet every single time. Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it speaks to a larger theme that we're going to get into with this show, but I think we're going to be tracking pretty much for the next 30 episodes as we track through a remainder <laughs> of this band's career is the sense of, we, we talked a lot about this, 1988 is kind of the end of an era where the band is very expansive. There's long jams. I encourage everyone out there, if you have not spent a lot of time in 86, 87, 88, pick a random show on Relisten, throw it on. You are bound to get like a 17 to 25 minute long jam that you didn't know existed and is really, really good, albeit very raw and showcases mm-hmm. like, like a 10 year preview of where this band's going to go with their jamming. But they make this almost very conscious decision to tighten things up that creates the blueprint they that that creates the confidence because they know that they can walk out on a on a on a on a, on a uh, high wire act and they will they will be able to catch themselves they will be able to stay afloat and this show and countless other shows from 1993 and a ton of shows that we're going to talk about as we go forward is going to showcase that kind of um, that frenetic energy, that confidence, that ability to just take huge, huge risks and land on them. And then there's going to be a point in their career where that doesn't happen because the focus becomes the risks. The focus does not become the tightness to the risks. And that dichotomy, it's one of my favorite things about understanding this band's evolution. So without further ado, 34 minutes into this podcast, another touchdown since the last time I said this. Um, (laughs) Set one, Runaway Jim, Gula Papyrus, Reba, Fee, Split Open a Melt, Esther, It's Ice, fading into, and I think it's more of a, like one of these, into Harry Hood, Golgi Apparatus. And I will just note that there is one, two, three, four, five, six songs in this first set that are hyperlinked to the jam chart. So you know yeah. right away Crazy. you're getting a ton happening here. Um, I noted as I was listening to this, I threw this on last night. Um, and I had it on while I was kind of just doing some end of weekend chores and I was just like, okay, runaway gym, cool opener. Great. Fine. Whatever. And I immediately had to go to my notes in my phone and said, not two minutes into the show. And we're already breaking down structures, all caps. Welcome to August, 1993. In the context of this series, this sounds nothing like the fish that we've heard before. Yeah, what say you exactly. guys? Exactly. I wrote in my notes, it says two minutes in, and they're doing this repeated riff just over and over again. It's really cool. Trey sounds like he's like scratching like a DJ would. It's like, wick, wick, wick. like it sounds incredible. It's Pick so playful. Yeah, and confident. And then there's this monster peak. It's just, I just wrote, damn. I mean, this is like, you walk out and you open a show like this, like people must have been going fucking nuts. Loved it. Yeah. I mean, the confidence level was high, like 
real yeah. high at this point. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it was during gym that I had this thought like, oh, this is why I like this band. Um, yeah. Because that it's, it's immediately, immediately evident how just strong they are playing at this point in their tour, in the year, in their career. It's amazing. And, you know, every bit of it's good. Gula is strong. The yeah. Reba is gorgeous. Oh, my God. So beautiful. The Fee's got a little outro jam. That's cool. Melt is kind of demented. So uh, Esther is, like, pretty and just great, great hood. Ice is good, too. Ice has got a great little piano breakdown. That oh, it's it, so good. It should mm-hmm. be better highlighted frankly um it god killer set it's a killer set i mean for me the first set is is what wins this show i could re-listen to this first set and just like end at golgi and move on like if you just want like 90 minutes of high octane summer 93 fish i was just thinking about this like you were talking about that breakdown in runaway gym megan Reba has it, Fee has it, split up into melt, ice. All these gems have these moments where they just lose the trail and but they know where it is. They're just we're just exploring, we're wandering, we're seeing what happens. And I was thinking about so this is the sixth show that the band has played in Portland. They played two in ninety-one, one in ninety-two, two in uh, uh two in spring of nineteen ninety-three at the Rosalind Theater, and then they come back five months later and they play here at the Arlen Schnitzer concert hall you've got to imagine like they're leveling up in terms of the size of the venue that they can play at starry starry night is kind of a little bar rosalind theater is a small theater in downtown portland and then you get to um arlen schnitzer and it's a bigger nicer concert hall so they're clearly coming back to the region and finding new fans but they're also or finding old fans who are bringing friends to it but i also wonder how many people were listening to this runaway gym thinking like this band wrote this song like all these weird little breakdowns yeah. in here, like this is composed. Cause I don't think you go into this show thinking like, Oh, that 30 seconds is a jam. And then that 30 seconds is a jam. Like there's just so much that's kind of got to be confounding to a new listener coming to this band. I mean, I, when I got into fish, I had a hard time discerning what was a jam and what was composed. And I would, I definitely mm-hmm. had a good bit of that flipped. And I can see this being the kind of show where if you're there and you're not familiar with fish, you're you're going to be confused. It's, it's yeah. going to be hard to know. Got to help you if they play a "You Enjoy Myself," um, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, right? yeah. Uh, that's kind of the epitome of that that problem, if you will. Right. If it's a problem, um, it's a good I, problem. I, yeah, yeah, I also want to shout out uh, Dynamics. Uh, somebody yes. in the comment notes how soft mm-hmm. they get in the Reba. I mean, this yeah. is August. August 93 is like Reba Central. This is where yes. you get your choicest Rebas off the tree. And this one is one of them. And mm-hmm. Harry Hood is another good example of the dynamics that they were achieving. And I mean, they did it several times in this set alone. And it's... Again, that strength. This is a, I mean, s- relatively speaking, yes, this band has been together for 10 years. They've right. all, they played in Portland now. This is their sixth time. But like, how do you command those kinds of dynamics? Like I've seen bands that have been playing for 
decades and they can never really get quiet without being completely overwhelmed. Yeah. And well, it's the listening too and the trusting. Yeah. They're listening, but their audience is listening too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They bring everybody right along for it. I know. I mean, that I, I have to talk about that Reba too, because this is, I think, a absolutely perfect Reba. I mean, there's like these bubbling notes that they're playing during the quiet part. And it's, you almost can't hear Trey. He's being so delicate. Yeah. And then there's just this like page just like emerges out of the quiet on the piano. It is truly beautiful. Like it's a triumph. And yeah, you're right, Jonathan. This is a month of Reba's. Like this is the last one. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is this is some really good shit. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. And then I really love that. Oh, go ahead, Brian. No, no, no. Keep going. I was just going to say, I love that the way this set is constructed, and I know Trey was spending a lot of time with setless construction in 1993. It's perfect. Like It has the quiet moments, and then it has the build-up moments. It has energetic moments. And then to go into Fee after that Reba, which is so fun, and the crowd goes crazy when he says the name Fee for the first time in the song. So I don't know if they know it, but it's just like they're super into it. And it gets so rollicking, and it feels like it could open up into like a huge jam. I mean, it almost sounds that sometimes like they're like stopping themselves from jamming. And I thought like, are they going to jam this Fee out? And then, you know, it ends in this like exclamation park mark, and it just like launches into this like ridiculous split open and melt. It's just so good. How have we never really talked about how Fee was like the could have been their hit song, certainly among their own audience, (laughs) you know, like Fee in the early in the 90s. I mean, that was it was it was such a fan favorite. Yeah. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know anybody who didn't like Fee and I'm not sure I want to. Um, we just, because <laughs> you could sing along with the chorus. It was catchy and fun. It was a cool story. The music was good. Everything about Fee is exactly what a pop song ought to be, except that it doesn't have the massive audience. It just, it's just within the fish audience. Yeah. I remember the first Maybe time I heard it the when one someone played, someone played, yeah. Right. Ooh, it's got like cool the storyline and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was it was one of those songs, and Shermuth says it here. This was not the song that got me into fish, but Shermuth says fish was oh, the song wow. that got me into fish. Incredible chord progression. Yep. Um, that last part, like, because it was it was not the first song I got that connected me. I was already into them, and someone played um, like a you know version of Fee for me, and I remember hearing it and just being like, I feel like I've heard this song before because it has yeah. that earworm that you're like there's no way i've not heard this like it already feels instantly familiar and then you go back and you listen to the lyrics you're like what the fuck is he singing about oh my god yeah, i want to sing that out what? loud yeah right um <laughs> what even if it's your first show like the second okay. time that chorus comes yeah. around you're oh, singing along you're yeah, able you're to singing. at least mm-hmm. yeah it's also one of those unique songs that like i don't think there's a bad place in it. like there's no point in the show where you play fee and you lose people to the bathroom like it's yeah. a great opener it's kind of that soft storytelling opener and i've seen it in the encore a couple of times and it just like mm-hmm. does a great job of like you've seen two 90 minute sets of fish like you're exhausted you're sweaty you're like 
<laughs> you know, you're probably hungry. Like you're, you can't wait for that lot grilled cheese. And then they play fee and you're like, Oh, I could just stand here for like another four and a half hours. And you guys can do whatever. Cause like you have a song like this. Um, a couple notes I wrote down, you know, that Reba, not to add anything crazy more that, that you guys said about it. But like when I listen to these shows, and when like, especially for this exercise, I keep thinking about where was the band at at that point in time, not knowing where they would go. And you talk about this Reba being so locked in, so adventurous, but also so pretty. And mm-hmm. we have the hindsight of hearing what a 1994 Reba sounds like, what a 1995 Reba sounds like, what it will sound like in the late 90s when they start figuring out areas to jam it out and take it into this really dark space, um, kind of aligned with where they were playing music at that point in time. This band has no idea where they're going over the next two and a half years. They have no idea that in two and a half years, they're closing out their year with two nights sold out at Madison Square Garden and playing a show that many people are going to consider the strongest fish show that has ever been played, neither here nor there. But they have no idea where they're going. They just know in this moment that this song works for them and this song shows off all of their talents and all their chops. And you just hear them exploding ideas at that point in time. Um Split open and melt. Like, not only is this a great jam, but there's like that weird moment where they're singing along to the harmonies. They're messing around with breakdowns. Mike Gordon is everywhere. Like that old Languedoc bass that he used to play at this point in time that didn't have the depth that the modulus does that like didn't give them that sort of like danceable bass heavy uh, kind of like root that you would get in 1997 in the late 90s. But like when he slaps those notes, it just like it tears through everything that the rest of the band is playing and gives you this just like, I don't know, it's, it's not necessarily funky. It's, 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 uh, it, it's like kind of wild, experimental. It sounds a little bit dangerous. It sounds a little unhinged and it fits perfectly in a split open and melt. Um, I wrote down goals achieved and I was thinking during this split open and melt, just listening to the band tinker with everything. I was thinking back to the 12283 show that we talked about, the, the first fish show ever. Mm-hmm. And the ideas that we were talking about there were the only things that we have on tape are uh, Scarlet Fire and the tape recording it's listenable. It's kind of shitty. It's really great, grimy and grainy, you know, but you hear this band playing in front of almost no one where nobody cares, but like somewhere in the back of Trey's mind, he's thinking I could play in front of 4,000 people and they will be eating up everything that I play. And you listen to the split up in a mountain. You just hear that. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, this is insane. I mean, the beginning, yeah, I just wrote, Mike is just dropping bombs. Like, it's just <laughs> over. And Trey was just almost like whispering the lyrics and like yeah. scatting. He's like scatting between the verses. It sounds so playful and free. I mean, it just sounds loose. But then with a song like Split Open and Mouth, obviously it's so tight too. So it's like they have that, those opposing forces just playing so well. And it's, Trey almost sounds like he's playing horns at, at, at one point, but they're just embodying the music in a really organic and playful way. That is something I, you haven't heard them do before, like be kind of wild and free and when they're playing and they're singing. And this is just an absolutely awesome version. I loved it. It's the tr- peak is just tremendous. 
agree on all of that. And I was thinking, you know, just like this is that period in a man's development where the foundation is set, you start to tinker within anything is possible in these songs. You hear it in Split Up and Melt, you hear it in Esther, you hear it in Ice. Um, one last note here about set one. I was going through, because this is a late set one Harry Hood, and I was like, is this a regular thing that was happening then? So up until this point in Fisher's career, this was the 16th first set Harry Hood. So from 85 to 93. Since 1993, 30 years, there have only been 14. Wow. This is one of those songs that when it's played in the first set, it feels like almost a statement, almost a message yeah. from the band of like how they feel at that point in time. At this point, it's still relatively rare, but we're getting less than the amount that we've had thus far. It's just, it's so cool to me when this song is played in the first set, because it just throws you off emotionally in like the best way possible. Yeah, I thought um, this could have ended the first set. I just thought this is, I won't spend too much time because I could, but it's just so patient, this hood. And I felt like it's kind of a foreshadowing of some of the really like tranquil spaces that like some of their jam vehicles are going to go more and more towards like towards the end of the decade. Like there's just this patience and quietness and openness in this hood. It's really beautiful. I thought the set was going to like end because it could have. It just like has that amazing yeah. blowout peak, right? But then they yeah, put the exclamation mark on. So yeah. Now it's time to- Let's get a little yeah, quick shredding. Exactly. Yeah, a little golgi. Remember that thing? Ticket stubs. We have we have those now. <laughs> All right. On. And then uh, send everybody to the concession stands, the bathroom lines, whatever it is before do, Don't do anything that we wouldn't do. Um, yeah, I noted the hood is immediately expansive and slow and low and haunting. And it sounds like mm. beautiful. Uh, a fish from the future in a really cool way, but also playing here in 93. Um, set two, do we have anything else that we want to say here about set one? And we've talked we've talked at length about how great this set is. And we I just can't <laughs> recommend it to you guys to go out and listen to this. It's a perfect set of fish. Absolutely perfect. So set two, we get... 2001 into David Bowie, Life Boy into Rift, Jesus Just Left, Chicago, a preferable blues song, Lizards, Hold Your Head Up into Nothing But a Nothing, Hold your, Back into Hold Your Head Up, and then the Live Fish Tapes notes that Chalk Dust ends the set, which is the way it sounds, but Fish.net yeah. notes that Chalk Dust and Freebird are in the encore. I don't know exactly what the answer is here, but regardless, they play Chalk Dust and then they play Freebird. Um, we get Baby Gramps on the vocals for Nothing But a Nothing, which we will get into. But tell me your guys' thoughts about this overall set and kind of what your big highlights are. It feels like a set two, right? It's got a got a notable jam. It's got you know, a, kind of a fishman segment, which is a little enhanced, as you mentioned, with baby gramps. Um, and and I can see if you look at the set list on Fishnet, Chalk Dust not being the set two closer doesn't make any sense. There's no, right. <laughs> yeah, they didn't that walk off sense. after hold your head up. Come on, um, no, but that's not really why we're here to talk. We're not talking about this show because of hold your head up or baby gramps or any of that. Um, this has the typical summer 93 micro version of also Sprock Zarathustra opens the set and it just, I think it sets the tone. And before I dive into all the songs, I'll give you guys a turn to talk about the set at large. I think this set is like, Half of it I find incredibly compelling and half of it I think is the the continued journey 
where they are still trying to figure out where to find that narrative arc for a second set. To me, and this is probably a me thing, but like uh, the narr- the narrative arc of a second set um, really peaks by the mid 1990s. I mm-hmm. think that listening back to this, you still hear the band figuring out where do all the puzzle pieces fit. And I think it's fascinating to hear it. I think that there are some choices that don't necessarily work for me from a flow standpoint, but I think overall, especially the like 2001 Bowie life boy section, that is like the perfect way to jump into a second set for me. Um, I noted 2001 Telefish fan in 1993 that this song will reliably cross 15 to 20 minutes in just four years and watch their expression. Like (laughs) this is such a way to just like usher us into a set of just energy and excitement and uh, like excellent, you know, familiar riffs and if you if you're bringing a noob if you're bringing like a a new friend to a show type of thing they hear this and they're like oh i know this song you know i've seen this movie i've heard this before it's like a familiar ushering in and it especially because it's 1993 you think this happens at every show because they play 2001 to kick off like every other show every other second set which i love (laughs) but then david bowie which we'll get into that like that brings you into where they're at right now, but also where they're going. And and so there's, there's a lot of transition happening here, which we'll get into, but Meg, what are your larger thoughts on this set? Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think the first half of the set is perfect, but I do think that to have a first set or a, the jams that you have in the show, you couldn't have them without the playfulness and the risk-taking that they're doing in second set when they're bringing mm-hmm. baby Gramps on and having the fisherman segment and letting him play vacuum. Like, you don't get a band that is playful and adventurous and risk-taking without the silly part of them. Like that's just, it's so who they were and it's so a reason why they felt free on stage and felt like they could take risks together is because they were like, yeah, you want to fucking play the vacuum on stage? Like do it, you know? I think that, so when I hear this and I listen back, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't really love Fish playing the blues. I don't really love, you know, like, this weird guy singing this like not good song, but then <laughs> th- that's who fish, you know, that's like that's who who they fish are. was. Yeah. Right, so I'm right. like, I'm grateful that they are these dorky weird people because otherwise they wouldn't be so fucking awesome. So I, right. I feel like it's worth it to have the second part of the set. If you're going to get the rest of the show, which is a plus. Well, I think to that, like, I was thinking about this as I was listening to it, like, August 1993 specifically is when second second sets start to look and feel like they will Mm. over the next couple of years. Um, I was going through, like, just from August, the the Tampa second set, the Darien Lakes 8-7, Tinley Park 8-14, Red Rocks uh, 8-20, 12-30, just to jump ahead, the Portland, Maine second set. Like, you're starting to see things start to formulate around um a, a a a kind of design of of songs that are going to be played uh an approach from a jamming standpoint the idea of segues really becoming a huge huge part of these sets where if they're playing a second set there's usually going to be a lot of like specific flow from one song into another um but you're still seeing that band from 89 to 92 where we got to get the fishman segment in we got to get this mm-hmm. and we got to get this in and that kind of grab bag i think has a place in terms of everything that we've um 
that we come to love and what you're talking about there, Meg, the idea of like, without these elements, they are not who they are. And you have to have all those elements for, you know, the band to work for, for various aspects of the band to work. Um, when I hear it, I hear a really, really good opening kind of segment of the, of the, of the second set and then aspects that I'm, personally glad kind of went by the wayside even though i enjoy them in this context oh are we gonna am i gonna have to call you guys idiots for not liking a fishman segment again because i feel like that's on deck you fucking morons no i'm kidding i I love you guys but um i totally (laughs) disagree with your opinions um i think this set yes the big jam is in the beginning and uh life boy perfectly follows it rift is great yeah, Jesus just perfect. left Chicago. It was killer. Paige sings his freaking heart out. It's awesome. Lizards is lovely. It makes up for that lizards that got fucked up last year, um, <laughs> last week, year, whatever. Um, and and Baby Gramps is a laugh. It's so fun. That song is uh, supposedly an original of his, but I know parts of the lyrics appear in uh, Disney's Alice in Wonderland. Um, the uh, I think the Dormouse quotes it that twinkle twinkle little bad thing. Anyway, it's not important. Um, it, it's it, I love it, and this is the kind of shit that if you got a head full and you're seeing these guys, they've messed you up with this Bowie, and yeah. you are not finding the ground until the lights are on after Freebird. I think um, maybe during Chalk Dust, but Freebird's going to mess you up a little too because that's just kind of strange. And I really <laughs> love to have this. Uh, proper soundboard recording of it too because so yeah, many of those are poorly recorded audience and not to knock the Mostly tapers hear people shushing it's each other just that you <laughs> yeah. can't hear those things the way <laughs> you can on a soundboard um the um the david bowie we should really yeah, talk about though it. Well, yeah. Can I can I just say one thing that you said? Yeah, you go ahead. Try to defend yourself. No, no, no. I think I think it's actually really, really good. um, You know, thought in terms of why these songs were played and why why this stuff was played in this order. You had a lot of fans at that point in time who were coming there. Um, I don't want to say the band catered to this, and and so so I'm just going to like kind of reset the idea of being at a fish show and then playing this Bowie and you're kind of on a head full and you're young and carefree and the band plays hold your head up and this very bizarre cover that is only played twice the night before and tonight and then never again. Um, plus a blues song, plus this very beautiful Calypso song that has like a story that you're following and you're like, what the hell it's is a ride. What, what you about the lizards? Yeah, it is. It is a ride in a very, very different psychedelic way mm. than the band will provide you two summers later where sure. they're going to give yeah. you a 45 or 50 minute long jam. But you don't know any better in 1993. Oh, totally. And, and that's the thing and, is like, they're, they're giving you a psychedelic awesome. journey. That's very different. Yeah, it's, awesome. it's great. Um, it is. It is not my. I'm not going to reach for this from a second set standpoint, but I see the purpose and I definitely understand it. Let's talk about that Bowie though. Um, mm. As I was listening to this, I was thinking, in many ways, this is the song as well as Tweezer that is going to define everything that changes about this band over the next half decade. And hearing it in this context, 
as I was listening to it this morning, just completely blew my feeble mind. As we're going through this one show a year and you get Mm -hmm. to check in on various stages of this band, it just hit me how important this song is, both in this moment as well as fast forward eight months, fast forward 18 months, fast forward five years. Like This song right now is going to help the band discover so many things musically that they just wouldn't have without it. Jonathan, you are our resident. Um, did they jam out Bowie host here on the Helping Friendly podcast? Tell me what your thoughts are on this, David Bowie. They did jam out Bowie. Um, <laughs> this one is this one's great. I love the fishnet like uh, jam chart comment. Possibly the most deranged, sick, insane, and wild ass <laughs> version ever. All caps. Awesome. And you know what? Awesome. Right I have on this show, on record, taken issue with a few comments and things on fish.net. This no. This is not one of them. Uh, because dead on, <laughs> it's sick. I mean, this is what nowadays when I'm listening to a David Bowie and telling you guys, well, they almost got there. They like this is kind of the bar. Like, I don't expect them to be quite this, but but like, I mean, this thing is only 13 minutes long. Like, let's mm-hmm. let's get there first, right? It's not a massive. It's no Providence 94. It's not a, you know, multi-segmented, you know, modulated, uh, you know, set long beast. It is a a missile that just completely obliterates the mind for a moment. And then you reform in Life Boy. It is... <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is these guys, everything we've been talking about, how, you know, that their strengths and power in 1993 kind of coalesces with this David Bowie, except that they don't really get super quiet during it. That's mm-hmm. after um, they 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 explode. They take chances. They abandon the song. They fall back into the song or deliberately return to the song would be the accurate mm-hmm. statement right and all with such poise and like intent that i mean i freaking love it i listened to this bowie about six times since we chose this show <laughs> four days ago so uh yeah it's it's all right and life boy as i said three times now is the perfect landing after it you know RJ, if he were here, he's often commented how that's his favorite thing to come out of an intense tweezer. I think yes. this is an excellent example of that exact same thing. Yeah, I my thought on the Bowie was very similar to you. It's 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 a it's a missile. I, I thought this is the sound of a band that's filled with ideas that doesn't quite yet realize that space and silence are their friends. Like you you heard mm-hmm. hints of this in the first set, but at, to your point, Jonathan. 10 months from now, 20 months from now, they're going to play David Bowie's that have this much energy and this much power, but also have these like segments of silence and quiet that just add to the expansiveness of it. But to hear them kind of discover and tinker with this and almost be like, we are so excited to play this song that we're going to play it so fast and (laughs) so aggressively that we're going to be over in 13 minutes, but we covered like 
you know, it's like you get in the car, you drive and you're just like feeling it and you pull over for gas and you're like, wait, it's been like three and a half hours. Like I'm already at an, an empty at this point in time. Like what the hell just happened? Like, did I just black out and suddenly end up here? Like that is what this jam is. I, Whereas I feel also that they almost had to play life boy for like medical purposes. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. Like hold up. <laughs> like Fishman's Which gonna is have gonna be a very <laughs> different reason come fall nineteen ninety four mm-hmm. when like they get so far astray and they figure out a way back home and then they're like, Okay, now we gotta play Life Boy to reset ourselves or fast enough for you. Um, Meg, what are your thoughts on this on this David Bowie? And please wow. don't say that you didn't enjoy this. Well said, both of you. This <laughs> Bowie, don't worry, I'm not gonna get kicked off the pod. This this Bowie is so fucking risky. I just, I love it. It is just cacophonous and has this untamed feeling to it. Trey is That's just going word. off. It feels like any minute everything could fall apart. And then there's this part of it where you can almost hear the Bowie riff. Like it feels like it's that they're about to come back into it. It just keeps feeling like that. You can almost like hear it. And instead, Trey starts like screaming wildly. And they're just – it just has this, like, carnival ride breakdown feeling when there's, like, wood blocks. It's just – it's truly an exciting piece of music. And then Trey brings in the Bowie ending riff, and it's just, like, even when he does that, they don't stop. And they do this, like, stop-start thing in this, like, demented way. There's just, like, this off-kilter, like, really thrilling end to the song. I mean, this is – it's fucking amazing. I love it. I listen to it a couple times, and I usually – don't re-listen to jams more than once before this, just because of time and life. I made time. The scream is one of those things that <laughs> just you know, 93, 94 fish. Like they kind of stopped it. I think there's a few in 95, one but like more of those. Yeah, there's like a moment <laughs> in all not, these jams. Not that I care about them screaming. I want them to want to scream. Yeah. And I mean, if you if you're listening and you know what that means, you know what that means. They're they're not just doing it because, mm-mm. you know, oh, we need some sort of punctuating vocal here. Right. No, they're screaming. They it's, it. it's 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 but ah, can you ever like access that like that intensity is like it, it's it happens when you're really young and like hungry. Like I don't know. I mean that's ages I don't know. of man. I think maybe that's they could scream again. I'm just you're right. I'm gonna hope they can. I could scream. I'm old. So I think maybe, there like, is something can't. about youthful hunger. Like they've never done this yeah. before. They don't Hunger know. is a thing that I don't expect them to get back to. But that yeah. doesn't mean they can't or are unable to tap into a um, uh, exuberance and a primal. Uh, ecstatic music. Yeah. I think that one thing that they're very good at, and it's it's this is – this leads into a, a question that I have for you guys um, as we as we move towards the the end of this because I think about like 1993 feels and and from what I've read it's kind of that line in the sand for for some fans like like after mm-hmm. this hoist came out and and to them this 91 92 93 period of fish is pure fish and everything after that was either too funky or too slow or too sloppy. Like this is that perfect mix of hyper fast, hyper tense, hyper excited fish. But one thing that fish does really well that can be challenging as a listener, that can be, you know, a learning experience often that can piss people off rightly or wrongly is they do something and then they never return to it. 
Unless it's a woo, which is we'll talk about <laughs> when we get to 3.0. But like the screaming is one of those things because I remember very clearly buying Live Fish 02, 716.94, and listening to it in the back of my parents' minivan with my headphones on, my mom's driving away from the mall, and I put on Run Like an Antelope, and like six minutes into the song, <laughs> Fishman and Trey are just going, ah! And I just remember being like, what the fuck is going on? Who is this band? What is happening right now? And it was like another one of those moments. So I don't know. It's, it's wild to hear this. And it's also wild. We posted this or we put this up on the screen here, but incredible purpose says I missed the mid nineties screaming chaos after Ebenezer yeah. connected the dots between Bowie and tweezer. You get that as well. That sense of like, we are off and nothing is stopping us. And we have no holds bars at this point in time. Um, any other thoughts that you guys have about this set here before we kind of start to wrap this down? Um, I just wanted to say, I just wanted to say before Jonathan shows his sticker is that I think in Life Boy, which of course it's absolutely perfect. This is like an argument that the grand piano is like one of the best things that ever happened to Fitch because like Paige in this version is just like laying into the piano in this like super sultry, amazing way. And it's kind of like now how I feel like he's like leaning into his synths. It's just like, it's so great. I love when you see a musician with like a new toy on stage. It's awesome. It also adds an element to their jamming that mm-hmm. roots them in like Americana, but also kind of classical music yeah. while they're playing such experience. Like it roots them in jazz, but it, it, it allows them to do all this crazy experimentation, all the comedy while kind of giving them a, a rock in whatever this country has produced musically. A proper piano to differentiate from an electric piano mm-hmm. is truly a percussion instrument. Very true. Mm. Tonal percussion Mm. instrument. Yeah. And so when Fish is jamming, and I mean really jamming, and Paige is on the piano, it's like two drummers. Mm. It's my favorite part about summer. It changes the the mode. It is entirely different. And they know it and they use it to when Paige is on the organ or you know, the clav Mm -hmm. or any of those other things. And they have, you know, the clav and like a um, offender roads they kind of have a percussive sort of nature and their design but it is not the same and the things that he could get out of that real piano on stage you know they, there's a reason they never went away from one um, yeah despite it being expensive and challenging because you gotta you know tune it and you want to put that on the sun and the you know in the on the beach you know as they just did or at a festival or on summer tour in some shed and you know, it's work to maintain that that is just doesn't exist with a synthesizer, but you yeah. can't get that sound. It it blew way. my mind when they did the dinner in a movie from Deer Creek 95. Those jams are so bizarre. And the entire show yeah. tray or pages on the baby. Grand piano. Yeah. And I think about it sometimes, you know, I webcast a lot. Like I, I webcast pretty much every show that the band plays, and it's one of my favorite things. And they'll be off in a very weird jam, and Trey's playing these weird synth notes, and Mike is, you know, playing with his uh, drill, and Fishman's doing all this crazy stuff. And then they'll come back over to Page, and you would assume, based on the type of music that's being mm-hmm. played, that he's on the synthesizer, or he's on the organ, or he's doing this, and he's just like banging away on the baby grand piano, and it roots you, and it roots the sound in a way that, without that, they're not they're not the same band. Um, 
I want to highlight just two comments here as we're wrapping up here from Glenn Russell. These are really, really, I love, I love these. As a Coloradan, same here. We fucking hang, dude. Uh, I always felt that August 93 was a coronation slash graduation for fish. After seeing them in clubs, ballrooms all around the state, suddenly here we are at Red Rocks, the Greek, really mm-hmm. revered ground. How, wow. The band seemed to have an enormous sense of pride and accomplishment, and us fans were so proud of them, like we were part of the team. It was a wonderful time. I think that uh, that speaks to a lot of truth, and it speaks to also something that, as we continue to move forward, is going to slightly be lost with this band. Like This is kind of the last time that they can play a theater like this, and it doesn't turn into complete civic chaos because Mm – Every single person has to get through those doors. Like everyone who's in there is like, if you're not in here, you don't know what we're doing and that's okay. Just stay out. But Mm -hmm. within two years, everyone is going to try to get into these doors and there's no way that they could ever play Arledge Schnitzer again. And it's part of the reason like they don't really play Portland a lot anymore because there's not like a ton of venues for them to play. Well, it's also, you know, in 92 and 93, we had things like Secret Language and Big Ball Jams and... Those things did not last. I think Big Ball Jams lasted into early 94, but oh, that was it. I know, you know, this is not about your opinion of the Big Ball Jam. This is about how they had these things that they could do to interact with their audience. And the gap grew yeah. as the venues grew. Um, we still had things like the shared sense of accomplishment when they would play something monumental. And, um, but, yeah, the gap grows from here. Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing that's unique about Fish talking about them in 2023 is, you know, the friends I have made through Fish are as obsessed and, you know, focused on this band's evolution the same way that I am. And you can just pick up these conversations very quickly. But the reality is, the majority of the people I know in my life know nothing about this. And so there's still this secret, even though it's grown in such a massive way. And while they couldn't do the big ball jam come MSG 1995, there are other things that they're going to bring along. And that's going to be fun to kind of figure out and and tinker with and explore as we go through this, uh, this series. A couple questions for you guys. One, I don't know what show we're going to do next week. RJ is on task for 1994. Um, we will find out. I am waiting on pins and noodles because it's freaking 1994 fish, and he better pick an amazing show. Just like I mean, you better pick a really amazing show, Meg, for 1995. Yeah, no pressure. Like, it would be really difficult for him to not pick an amazing show. In fact, I think that it would be amazing and impressive if he does pick a bad show. It would. I, in fact, um, RJ, when you're listening to this, <laughs> pick a bad show. I dare you. I dare you. So I know we are not going to talk about Bomb Factory because the Undermine rule. We talked about that in the last season of Undermine. But as I was listening to this show and as I was thinking ahead, 10 months from now, they're going to play this show at the Bomb Factory where they are going to play a set long version of Tweezer. And it's going to kind of be this additional step forward of what is possible within that 90 minute chunk of time. Um, what do you guys think changes between now and May of 1994? Like where do, how does this band become that band over the next 10 months? Uh, Trey writes the down with disease lick and levels up instantly. 
Congrats, Trey. You have written this. You can now do anything that you want. You can now play the White Album. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got, think, more, he's got more equipment slots. His, all of his stats go up by like one point. I mean, he's, it's, <laughs> it's like a video game. He yeah. just like... <laughs> exactly. His power increases. <laughs> I mean, I just think continued confidence and like it's watching your wildest dreams come true. Right. I mean, yeah. it's watching your wildest dreams come true. I and they're think still a, working on it. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. And they're you know? trying to get better. And they're like, you know, it's one of those things where, okay, you've finally gotten this place you thought you never would. Like, there's a conversation between, um, I think, Kuroda and Languidoc at some point, And they're saying, like, you know, wouldn't it be crazy? Like, someday I'm going to walk into like Madison Square Garden and be like, I want this lighting truck, this, this, this. And and they're laughing about it. And then like three years later, it's like happening, you know? And yeah, I think that. that for them, that's this moment. But I think because they're the band they are and they care mostly about the music, they're just completely focused on like, how can we make this even better so that we deserve this? And I think that's that's why they end up where they are. Yeah. I think you're both right in that sense. I think the only thing I would add, and it leads me to my last question, but is I think the band is going to understand that space, uh, patience aspect. Mm. I think they're going to realize, or they're going to learn at some point over, over these next couple of, uh, of months that they can play nothing and they can bring it down as quiet as possible and they can allow something to expand. And that, that aspect, that, that, that risk is not going to make them fall on their faces. And that's the only differentiating fact. Like to me, the band that plays the bomb factory in 1994 is very, very similar to this band that plays here in Portland, Oregon. They just Mm -hmm. understand a little bit more that quiet expansiveness is as haunting and as terrifying and as intriguing as let's ramp it up one more time. And while you're going to get a lot of that ramp it up one more time in 1994, you're also going to get these long stretches of quiet where Paige's baby grand piano continues to filter out where the band is at and continues to showcase these ideas and notes. Mike's bass becomes a huge part of it. The vacuum becomes an actual instrument rather than just like a gag that happens on a night to night basis. Mm -hmm. All of those things are going to add to kind of where this band goes over the next 10 months. It's, um, Ah, oh, it's just fascinating where we're at right now and where we're going. Really, really amazing show here. Love this. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Great pick. We could have talked about it all night, I think. I got time. Let's go. I could keep going. Um, but we're <laughs> going to let you all end this podcast, just end it, and go and listen to 826-1993. We should note to you all, we should have mentioned this at the top, but um, you mm. know, we had so much business to get through. The freaking Fugitive was the number one film in America. Are you guys kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on. Tommy Lee and Harrison Ford at the peak of I don't know if power. I've ever seen The Fugitive. Well, you need to change that. It is one of the best action movies, really? best thrillers of all time. It's unbelievable. Tommy yeah, Lee Jones won an Oscar for it. It's unbelievable. All right, maybe I'll watch it. I didn't kill my wife. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, good movie. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Um, But before I say it's so good again, because it's amazing. And thank you. Thank you, Brian. All caps. Amazing movie. It is one of the absolute best. Is it it your favorite one? I feel like, Brian, you've you've recommended some really like haunting films to me. Am I going to be like terrified if I watch this? No, no. 
Okay. No, I mean the the opening scene is 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 based on really, an old TV show. Come on, it's great. Yeah, it's just it's just really exciting. It's a great cat and mouse, and Harrison Ford's amazing. Tommy Lee Jones, like I love if Tommy I could, Lee Jones. If I could remember movie quotes the way that I remember Fish Setless, I could tell I could <laughs> do Tommy Lee Jones's monologue where he tells everyone where to go and search for Harrison Ford's character. But Good I just luck. can't do that, so I would just say go go out and watch it. Um, I'm gonna get it for you. That'll be a bonus episode. You can record that for. Me. I'll coach you. <laughs> I'm an actress. I'll coach you on it, Brian. I could feel you doing a really good job with that. <laughs> we're we're stepping into territory that uh, that brings me back to to high school theater, and um, we'll 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 get there for a bonus <laughs> episode. For heroes, that's all right. Heroes re- re- review monologues uh, from our favorite movies. <laughs> HF pop bonus, but we should say because to I premium. <laughs> is that we're changing the time of this show. Mm-hmm. The date time of this show is going to be changing, okay? Oh. So we are going to be transitioning for a variety of reasons. Um, RJ started a new role. He is out of town on Mondays. Um, I am in a new role. I'm in the office throughout the week. Jonathan's in the office throughout the week. Megan is a teacher. <laughs> she, has to, she has to teach the young minds of America. We are moving the show from Monday afternoon to Friday afternoon. We will do a full social media post about this, but not this Friday, but next Friday. So what is that? April 10th or 7th. something? I don't know. April 7th. April 7th. We'll be band back. Camp Friday. Bandcamp Friday. We'll be mm. back to do um, our 1994 show. And from there on, unless it's us recapping a fish show that happened the night before, um, which we're still figuring out that schedule on, we'll be back on Fridays at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. So same time, same date, same time to review a 1994 show of RJ's choosing. So, and then going forward, it'll be Friday afternoon. So really, really, really excited about that. Can't wait to dive into these shows. Thank you all for spending your afternoon hanging with us. Thank you all for your comments. Thank you all for ribbing us, for giving us great insights, great observations, for sharing your memories, for telling us when we have bad opinions, and sometimes telling us when we have good opinions. It's amazing. We really feel the love. I love hanging out with you guys Megan, Jonathan, and I love hanging out with all of you, both here live and all of you who listen. Thank you all so much. We'll see you in 10, 12 days time to talk about next time. 1994. Until then. Thanks, everyone. Bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week, I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. 
Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.